Good morning and welcome to Grace Church. Uh, my name is Joe and I'm the associate pastor here at Grace. And to all of you who are worshiping here with us live and to those of you who are tuning in, it's a joy and a privilege uh, to be worshiping with you today. Now, if you have your Bibles, uh, please uh, turn them to Psalm chapter 42. Uh, that's the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. And for those of you that do not have Bibles with you, you can use uh, the pew Bibles that are in front of you. And uh, if you don't have one at home, we invite you to uh, take that home with you. Uh, that's our gift uh, to you. It is our prayer and our desire uh, that you uh, would find uh, God reaching out to you uh, through the reading of his word. Now, before we get into our passage for this morning, I'd like to give a quick update before we begin. Now, for those of you who were uh, with us uh, last Sunday, uh, you'd remember that Pastor Aaron gave us a little bit of an update on where we've been as a church uh, through the pandemic and where we are going as we look ahead uh, into the future of our church. And one of the things that he had mentioned was that in spite of the fact that we had just gone through a once-in-a-generation pandemic, uh, God was gracious enough to actually grow our church even in the midst of it, both in our attendance and in our giving. And as we thought and prayed about how best to respond uh, to this growth that God has given to us as a church, as we look to kind of serve our neighbors and uh, love on them in Bergen County, we said that we're in a season in which we believe that God is calling us to basically restart our church in many respects. As many of us kind of come out of retirement of sorts and being able to meet in person and being in community with one another, I believe that uh, God is calling us to restart our church and rebuild our church in many respects. And to that end, uh, we had set out a goal of building up uh, volunteer teams uh, across the two services at the 9 a.m. and at the 11 a.m., uh, in various ministry avenues, and our goal was to have a volunteer team that totals uh, 185 people. And we made that announcement last week, and I am uh, so happy and privileged to report that after just one week, we are already at around 100 people who had signed up. And so let me just pause here. <laughs> And really appreciate the work that God is doing in us and uh, appreciate your generosity with your time and your efforts in joining a volunteer team. And we are just absolutely blown away. So we thank you. Uh, on behalf of the staff, let me just say thank you for your commitment to make our church a haven uh, for others that are in pursuit of God and in pursuit of community. And if you're still at this point considering joining in on this effort, uh, as we look to grow as a church in service of God in our community, I would really appreciate it if you could sign up uh, to get us to that uh, 185 number by uh, September 1st. Now, one of the ways in which you can do that is by using uh, the card that you have in the pew in front of you. It probably looks like this, uh, and you can uh, check off a, uh, an avenue of ministry in the back, and we'll be in touch with you for more information and training opportunities. Um, or what you can do is, uh, and there's also a QR code on your bulletin as well and on the card uh, that gives you access to the digital form uh, for you to be able to do that. And for those of you that are tuning in online, there should be a, a description to the video uh, below uh, where you'll be able to find a registration or a link uh, that'll get you to the digital form as well. And let me just pause here quickly and say, you know, <clears throat> with all of this being said, 
uh, and as exciting as it has been to witness the growth of our church in the last couple of months and last year, I'd like to reiterate the fact that our end goal as a church is not just to kind of pat ourselves on the back and to celebrate the growth of our church internally. Because we believe that God has placed us here, not just so that God can come meet with us where we are, which he is absolutely delighted to do, but as he meets us by his grace and as he uh, convinces us of his love for us, what he is also doing is he is doing the same, he is looking to do the same with our neighbors around us. Far be it for us as a church to grow internally without looking, uh, looking outside the walls of our church to meet the needs of the poor and the marginalized around us, to meet the needs of those around us who are alone, who are in need of relationship and friendship, who are in need of God's grace to be spoken of in their lives, both in word and deed. And that is why we are here. And so let me just say, as you consider serving with us, Please know that this is not just in service of the church uh, internally, but it's in service of God's kingdom uh, in our neighborhoods and regionally and globally as well. So we invite you to join us uh, in that effort. So, okay, I'm not going to go too long here. We have a sermon to get through. Uh, So let me um, set up Psalm 42 in this way. Uh, If I'm being honest with you, I have to confess uh, that in many ways uh, I am an emotionally immature person. And as much as I like to say that I've grown in this area in many ways over, uh, you know, uh, over my life, I'm still growing. And I know that I feel emotions. I know that I have emotions running through me. Uh, but what I have a hard time doing is identifying those emotions and processing them in healthy ways. And I have to say for any of you that are like that, <laughs> that feel like you're emotionally stunted in some ways... Uh, it's really helpful, you may know, to have someone who is emotionally mature, who is uh, able to articulate their emotions and process them in healthy ways, whether it's uh, your spouse or a close friend that you may have or even a therapist or a counselor. You know that it's uh, extremely helpful to have somebody who can act as a guide uh, through what is often a maze uh, that is your own heart and your emotional state. Because as you are guided along, you'll find that there are parts of yourself that you didn't even realize were there. That you were capable of experiencing emotions that you didn't even know you had uh, in you. And this kind of maturity is so important because what it does is it actually opens us up to a life that is much um, fuller. Both in kind of the spectrum of experiences that it has uh, to offer. And it gives you a greater capacity to experience life. And we'll see that it's not just kind of in service of selfish ambitions that we need to grow in this maturity. But uh, let me pause here and say this is kind of like uh, wine tasting. You know, I once had a friend of mine not too long ago who's in the hospitality business that brought a bunch of wine over uh, to my place and tried to explain to me the different notes and the, the, the tastes and the smells and those kinds of things. And I remember just thinking they all taste exactly the same. I absolutely had no palate for distinguishing the different kind of flavors that were available to me. But what God wants to do in us as he looks to mature us is to awaken those palates 
to awaken our capacity for life, to live life to the fullest. But it's not just important in that, you know, get the most of life, uh, but it also, as we grow in our emotional maturity, it also allows us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Because we all know that we have an easier time loving somebody and empathizing with the people that you can identify with. Right? Something that you see in them that you see in yourself. But if you're an emotionally Im- immature person, if you're an emotionally immature person, you'll have such a narrow range of experiences to draw on. And therefore, you'll have a hard time being able to empathize with someone who's even a little bit different than you are. And friends, that's why the book of Psalm is so important for our growth. Because a great reformer and theologian, John Calvin, once called the Psalms an anatomy of all parts of the soul. An anatomy of all parts of the soul. What he's saying is that there's every possible condition that a person can experience, whether it be grief or sorrows or fears or doubts or hopes and cares and excitement and joys. They're all represented and processed in the book of Psalms through the lens of the reality of who God is. And so in many respects, this book, the book of Psalms, can act as, a, as something that you can look to as a guide, right? To take you by the hand. Uh, to walk through all kinds of life experiences and conditions of the heart and all of these emotions. And so what I'd like for us to do this morning is to take a look at Psalm 42 and look to it as a guide in leading us through a particular heart condition that I would call spiritual depression. And it's a condition that anybody who's been on any kind of spiritual journey will experience in their life where you felt like you've done everything you could, but you still feel like you've hit a wall, okay? So with that being said, let's take a look at this passage together, Psalm 42. I'm going to read it in its entirety. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taught me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. 
So we're going to take a look at the psalm and look at the topic of spiritual depression. And what we'll do is uh, take a look at it under three headings. As we look at spiritual depression, first, we're, we're going to take a look at what it looks like, what the spiritual depression looks like. And secondly, we're going to look at how we are to endure through it, how we are to endure through it. And lastly, we're going to take a look at where we get the strength to endure through it, what spiritual depression looks like, how to endure through it, and where to get the strength to endure through it. Okay, so let's take a look at those three points. But first, uh, what spiritual depression looks like? Well, let's start right here in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Right here, the psalmist is setting up the entire psalm, and he's really just kind of uh, encapsulating the whole of the experience that is spiritual depression in just one verse. It says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. And I want us to sit with this image for a moment. Because the word pants here in the English doesn't quite get across uh, what the experience is, is like, right? It's really easy for us to miss the kind of desperation and the agony and the existential dread that is being portrayed here. Because when it says a deer panting for flowing streams, it's not talking about the kind of momentary thirst uh, that needs to be quenched. And what the psalmist is describing here is a, a panting deer that's been looking for water during this long period of drought. And after stumbling upon one dried up riverbed after another is now literally dying of thirst. And so the kind of experience that the psalmist is describing is a matter of life and death. And so what he's saying is he's crying out to God and saying, God, it's as though you hung me out to dry. It's like every single time I come to you day and night, riverbed after riverbed, longing for the water of your presence, I come desperate. I come desperate for a drink, and all I end up tasting is the bitter water of tears. Right? That's what the psalmist is saying. And so he says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. He's saying, I can't eat, I can't sleep, because I'm desperately longing for your presence, and I'm getting none of that. He's describing here a desperate longing for a God who is nowhere to be found. And all he's feeling is this tangible sense of his absence, right? The absence of God as a person. Because all he ever wants to do is experience God as a person, and all he is left with is God as a concept. Now let me quickly share a meditation on this with you. Because notice the psalmist here that experiencing the presence of God is a matter of life and death. Now here's what this psalm is doing. Now, I don't know, you know, for those of you that are here, I don't know if you're a Christian or not. Maybe you're just kind of exploring this Christianity thing. But let me, let me just say this. If you're at all interested in exploring what a relationship with God is like, and you're asking the question of, like, how would my life look different if I actually had a relationship with God? This psalm is setting the bar for what it's like to be awfully high. And here's why I say this. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis he once said this, he said, 
If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. And so likewise, if you want joy, peace, eternal life, and all of those wonderful things, you must get close to the thing that has them. Because they are the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, he says, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. See, here's what Christianity says. Christianity says God is your highest good. That every single thing that you are looking for in life, if you are to trace it to its origins, if you were to look to the thing that has more of it, and if you were to get to the bottom of your searching, what you will find there is God, because He is a source of all that is good. He is a source of all that is able to satisfy you. Now, that's a, that's a pretty bold claim. But if Christianity is true in its claim, then to have Him. To be near to him is to have and to be near all that is good. And to be far from him and to be removed from him is to be far from and to be removed from everything that your soul needs. Is that your understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God? Or is it something else? Is your goal in life to be near to And to have a tangible sense of who God is as a person, or are you just content with knowing God as a concept? Because once you have tasted this God, the psalmist would tell you, you will not be satisfied with anything else. A couple of years ago, a friend uh, treated me uh, to a really high-end sushi restaurant in Manhattan. I've never had uh, omakase Right, where you just kind of serve fish and you don't really choose. You know, you just get what's given to you. And like a really high-end one at that. And so I've never had it and I've had it since then. Uh, but I have to tell you, once I tasted this tuna that was flown in directly from Japan, it, I, I have to tell you, it was a beauty that I've never experienced before. I'm pretty sure I was embarrassing my friend who took me there because I was like taking pictures and I was making noises and I was saying things that probably was, you know, embarrassing for him. But I just couldn't help myself. It was something that I'd never tasted before. And I have to tell you, it took me a while to go back to eating sushi that I could afford. (laughs) And my taste buds, once it tasted that, always had a longing for it. And you know, the pursuit of a Christian, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, is to drink deep from that great fountain of energy and beauty as C.S. Lewis talked about, spurting from the very center of reality itself. It is to have an intimate relationship with God, to know Him as a person and to not be satisfied with God as a concept. And that pursuit of God is at the very heart of the Christian life. Everything else comes secondary. Listen again to C.S. Lewis who says this. I believe we have the quote um, that can be projected on the screen for you. Speaking of this desire that we have, he says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. 
A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself, though, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And he goes on to say, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. Now that is the Christian life. And it's a high bar. But Christianity is not squeamish about setting that bar. See, most of us, I would suggest, if you're anything like me, we often don't experience spiritual depression because our appetites are too weak. We are too used to just being okay with grocery store sushi, and we're okay with that. Never having tasted the real thing. And so, friends, let me pause here and say, if you're experiencing hardship, if you're experiencing some kind of depression, it may be that what God is doing in your life is He is reminding you that there's a desire in your heart that cannot be quenched by any other means than having a vibrant relationship with God, having His vibrant, life-giving, joy-giving presence in your life. And we all need help, right? So if you are experiencing clinical depression, the help you may need may be a medical one. Or you may be the kind of person like me that has no tools or has never been able to make sense of your emotions and your experiences. Maybe what you need is professional uh, uh, help from a counselor or a therapist or whatever the case may be. We all need help in, in, in to get through Whatever it means for us to get to the bar that is set in terms of having a relationship with God and not being satisfied with anything less than the perfection of God himself, right? And that is the goal of the Christian life, and that means to fall into spiritual depression then is to lack a sense of God as a person. We feel like you're not there, where it feels like you've been abandoned by God and all that is left is God as a concept. And so that's what it looks like to not have a sense of God. But here's the next question. If that is what spiritual depression is, how are we to get through it? Right, so here's where we get to the second point, how to endure through it. Now, <clears throat> as we get to this point, there are two principles right, for enduring through this condition that i like for us to take a look at. And those two things need to be held in tension with one another. And you may find that depending on your kind of personality or disposition, uh, that you favor one over the other, but both are absolutely needed. So the first principle in enduring through spiritual depression is you need to first pour out your heart. And the second principle is at the same time, you need to speak into your heart. 
And those two things need to be held in tension. Pour out your heart and speak into your heart. Let me go through them. First, you need to pour out your heart. Now, I get this from verse 4. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. He's pouring out his soul and he's articulating these things. Now, when he says, pour out my soul, uh, the, the word soul there refers to the whole of one's being, right? Everything that I'm experiencing. And so here's what the psalmist is doing. He's taking all that he is from deep, deep down in his heart and bringing it out and laying it bare, right? And that's basically what he's doing throughout the entire psalm. Now, in order for him to be able to do that, what does he need to be able to do? He needs to identify those things that are, uh, have taken up residence in his heart and he needs to find the words to be able to articulate them. Right? He is getting it out. He is pouring out his heart. And in the midst of his depression, he's taking the time and effort to listen to his heart, but not just listen to the state of his heart, but express what he is going through. Right? Here's what we need to learn. For many of us, right, for those of us that are the productive type A types, here's what we tend to do in situations like this. Whenever we go through a hard time, we're experiencing any kind of a lull or a depression, what we do is we focus on fixing the problem, right? We diagnose the problem. So if it's that of a religious nature, like the one that's being talked about here, we say, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe my faith is weak. Maybe I don't have community. Or maybe there's some sin that I'm working on, you know, I need to, you know, work on in my heart, right? We tend to quickly try and diagnose the problem. And then what do we do? We try to come up with a solution. Maybe I need to pray harder. Maybe I need to read the Bible more regularly. Maybe I need to be involved at church a little bit more. Maybe I need to fast even. Maybe I need to uh, go to a pastor and talk through this. Maybe he has some answers. And that's what we tend to do. And if we do all of those things, maybe we'll get out of this muck. And in that way, for us as religious people, we are no different from the world. Because that's the world, what the world wants to do. Here's the problem, though. If you know anything about life, you would know that we are less in control of our lives than we'd like to think. And here's the question. What happens when you've diagnosed a problem and you came up with those solutions and you go through all of those steps to make sure that you fix the problem and the problems are still there? What happens if none of those solutions work? We're worse off than before. Why? Because we get nervous. Or maybe I didn't diagnose the problem right. Maybe there's something inherently wrong with me. Maybe this is something that is going to last forever and I have indeed been abandoned by God. Right? It's a downward spiral. Right? And that's what religion and the way the world thinks of it does to you. Because I see religion as just another solution to the various problems that we have. But what we're being told here by example, this is the Bible. Psalm 42, in all of its honesty about the trip, travails of life, it's saying, no, don't move on from your problems so quickly. And here's what many of us need to hear from this psalm, especially for those of you that have been going through a prolonged season of suffering. The Bible would say, give, would you give yourself permission to be weary? Would you give yourself permission to be 
in despair? Would you give yourself permission to complain even? And let the weight of what you are experiencing press on you a little bit. The Bible's not asking us to be masochists, but the Bible is asking us to be honest. Honest about what it is that you and I are experiencing. Just a couple of years ago, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary uh, out in California produced a short film, and it was an interview with uh, Bono, uh, lead singer of U2, and a Christian author named Eugene Peterson. You can find it online, I believe. And there in that interview, Bono says, you know, I have problems with much of what we call contemporary Christian art. He says, you know... you." you with Christian art, you may find some kind of excellence and quality there, but what's often lacking is honesty. Everything is about how great God is and how great I feel and how great God makes me feel. He says it's often lacking in honesty. And he says, look at the Psalms. This Psalm, Psalm 42, and as a matter of fact, Around 35 to 40 percent of the psalms, depending on how you classify them, are psalms of lament. What he says is the psalms, the Bible, is honest about the human experience. And it's so important for us to hear from the book of Psalms because if you sweep your depression, if you sweep your difficulties under the rug, not only does it not work, you will never understand yourself rightly and be whole until you've experienced and processed them for yourself. You're not going to be any good to yourself. You're going to be cold and callous towards others who are suffering. Why? Because on the one hand, you'll be an optimist. You say, you know what? I diagnosed a problem. I came up with a solution to the problem, and I fixed it, so you can do it too. You'll always have a tinge of self-righteousness about you, or you'll be a pessimist when others are suffering because you've tried everything yourself and you failed. And you may listen to their problems and you may feel their anxieties and their worries and their hurts, but you'll be sucked right into that with them. You'll be of no use for the people around you. God is not calling us to be an optimist or a pessimist. He is calling us to be a realist. That it is possible, even though we can't explain why, that there is a God who is good. But for some reason, unknown to us in His good plan, there is real evil and suffering in the world. And though He promises at the end of time to restore and renew all things, including our very own hearts, right now in this moment, the things are hard. The things are difficult. And friends, that kind of wisdom can only be gained when you take the the time to examine the state of your heart and take the effort to articulate it, to pour out your soul. Now, that may look like a conversation with a close friend or a spouse, or it may uh, take the form of maybe seeing a counselor or a therapist or journaling in silence and solitude, whatever form it takes in our fast-paced culture, especially where we are, there's a need for us to slow down. Now, having said that, for some of us, 
we don't need to worry about just kind of pushing through and bottling up everything inside and, uh, and just kind of charging ahead. What we tend to do is we tend to wallow in our suffering and let it overwhelm us. Right? And that's why it's important to hold the first principle that we talked about in terms of pouring out our heart in tension with this second principle that is to speak into your heart. Now, if you were to take a look at this psalm as a whole, there's what's called a refrain, right? Uh, and a refrain acts like a chorus in a song. It's a phrase that is repeated over and over again. And that's uh, found in verses 5 and 11, where the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Here what we find is that even as the psalmist takes the time to sit with and experience the condition that he's in, in the midst of it all, what he does is he speaks into his heart. And this is where I find uh, the British preacher named David Martin Lloyd-Jones to be so helpful because in his book called Spiritual Depression, uh, appropriately titled, he talks about the practice of speaking into one's heart. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for you here a quote that I think is pretty long, but absolutely worth a listen, and I think it'll be projected onto the screen. And here's what Lloyd-Jones says. He says, uh, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment as he looks at Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. And then he says the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. I love this. He says, you have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? As in what business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also the health of my countenance and my God. He's saying there's two choices. You can either spend all day listening to yourself or you can spend that time beginning to talk to yourself. Because left to its own devices, your heart is going to say, I'm never going to get better. God has abandoned me and all the world's a mess and I'm going to die of thirst and look to stay in that condition. And he's saying that's when you need to address your own heart, grab yourself by the shoulders, so to speak, and say, look to God and hope in God. Now, he's not, when Lloyd-Jones tells us to do this, he's not saying, say those things like a mantra, as if to brainwash yourself into thinking that you can hope in God when he can't be trusted. Why? We get the answer in the psalm. If you look at the psalm closely, interspersed right in the laments are reminders of God's goodness. Now, you don't need to look with me, 
but you can hear, hear me when I say this. Look at verse 4. He remembers, right, being a part of a large gathering of people that were coming to worship God at the temple with great joy. And then he jumps down to verse 6. He says, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. We don't exactly know uh, the significance of that place, but we do know that it's a place that is removed from Israel's worship of the God in the temple. So he says, even though I'm away from the place of worship that I so desire to be at, what does he say? I remember who you are, even though I am afar. And then down to verse 8, he's reminding himself that though day and night he is in tears, right, God's loving presence is still with him, even if it's not felt. Right, what is he doing? The psalmist is thinking. He is reminding himself of who God is. And so when he says, uh, hope in God to himself, it's not just a statement without a basis where he's just kind of repeating some mantra until he wills into existence some uh, ethereal hope. No, he, what he's doing is he's collecting evidence. Here's why I can have hope. Here's why I can say, I shall again praise him. It may not be now because I'm down in the dumps and it may take some time but he says, based on the evidence of what God has done in the past, I shall again praise him. Now, that's a skill all of us need to learn to address ourselves, to remind ourselves who God is and what we have seen to be true. And that's what it means to speak into your heart. And so, friends, let me just say here, to be able to listen to your heart and to pour out your heart and to speak into it are both essential practices, what it means to endure through the difficulties of life, the depression that we may experience. We need to learn to do both of those things well. Now, here's the problem, though. If you're anything like me, this ends up being exhausting, Right? Because it's such a tightrope you have to walk. Because on the one hand, when you're really down in the dumps, you actually want to wallow in it. Right? Who has the energy to try and climb out of it? But on the other hand, when you have enough motivation to really just kind of take on life as it comes, and you're motivated to kind of uh, work through those things and move on with your life, right? who has the time and the bandwidth to be able to now sit back? Take the time to think and process in the midst of our busy lives. And yet it is so important that we do that. So how can we do this? And this is where we need the last point. Right? Where do we get the strength to endure the way we should? Now what's wonderful about this passage is, and you almost can't help uh, but see it if you have the eyes to see it, is that the psalmist himself in this psalm is pointing us to the source of strength that he himself didn't have access to the way we do now. Let me, here, here's what I mean. When we're faced with something that is terribly difficult, what we really need are two things. One, in our suffering, we need to know that we're not alone in it. And secondly, when we're faced with suffering, we need to know that things are going to be okay. That's what we desperately need to know. And that foundational surety that you have, that you're not alone, 
and that ultimately that things are going to be okay is what we're going to need if we want to be disciplined enough to both be introspective about what we are experiencing, but be objective about the reality of God and who he is in our life. That foundational surety is what we need. That is a strength that we need. Uh, <clears throat> just a couple of years ago, uh, my wife experienced uh, two miscarriages uh, in a span of one year. And uh, it was obviously devastating for us. But during that season, uh, my wife and I, we were pretty open about our experience with our church community and uh, with our friends. And I even kind of talked about it from the pulpit at my old church. And uh, what we were told was that having a miscarriage is like joining a club you never asked to be a part of. And that turned out to be absolutely true. Because once we started opening up with those in our community, we've had so many people. We had no idea about who shared in that experience come forward and join us in the struggle. And they came alongside of us. And I can't tell you how, I can't tell you how helpful it was to grieve with them. Why? Because we knew that we weren't alone. And there was something powerful about their arms kind of coming around our shoulders in a way that we couldn't have experienced any other way. Because we knew that they, they went through something that we went through. There was a bond that developed. But here's something else that happened. Seeing these people willing to come alongside of us and seeing their poise and their compassion and strength, what that did for us it, was that it gave us hope that we will come out of this experience. That if, while it feels like all was lost at the time, it gave us hope that we will indeed make it through as well. Because when these people said, you know what, it is tough right now, but everything is going to be okay. When those words came out of the people that have gone through it before, and came alongside of us, and cared for us, and nurtured us, and put their arms around us. And those words were not trite at all. Because we knew that those words were soaked in tears. We knew that those words were actually lived out. And those were words that ministered to us as a result. See, when you are going through a prolonged season of difficulty and depression, where are you going to get the strength to endure? When your soul thirsts for a God who seems distant, here's what you need to do. You need to find the one who is able to be that for you, ultimately. And that's what we find in Jesus Christ. When you're going through a period of depression, you need to listen to Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. When it feels as though the whole world is mocking you and saying to you, where is your God? You need to listen to Jesus whose enemies taunted him. Let's see if God will come and save him. If your heart is saying to God with the psalmist, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You need to listen to Jesus who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as you listen to and look to Jesus, what you will find is a companion 
on your weary journey. That's why in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He says, let us hold fast our confession. And he says, for we do not have a high priest who is what? Who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And so it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is where you're going to find your companion. That is where you're going to know that you are not alone in your difficulties and suffering. But the good news for us this morning is that Jesus is not just our companion. Because listen to the Hebrew passage again. He says, Jesus was the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. It's not just saying that he was a good person all of his life, though it certainly does mean that. It's saying he was unblemished by all of life's hardships and difficulties. He took them all on, all the way to the cross. Why? Not just to give us an example to follow so that we can be more like him, though that certainly is partly true, but ultimately, he did it all to give us himself so that we can turn to him and not find a judge, but a companion. He is not just an example for us to follow. He is not just a companion in your journey. He is a champion through your journey. And friends, that is where your hope is. Your hope is knowing that the, 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 the God of the universe decided to come down in the flesh and to experience every agony you and I will ever experience. And through it all, he said it was worth it. Why? To have you and I. So that we can turn to him through everything that we go through. To know that I am, because of Jesus, ultimately existentially, that I am cosmically going to be okay because that certainty was what Jesus fought for to the death. And he triumphed and won for me. And just as Jesus, having endured the cross, came out of the grave victorious, what you'll find as you endure through your difficulties is that because of what Jesus has done for you, at the end of it, you'll come out broken, yes, but you'll come out stronger and more victorious than ever, not because of anything that you and I can muster up in ourselves, but because of the victory that was secured for us by Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And friends, if you place your trust in him, the promise of the gospel is that it may not happen right away. But the promise of scripture is that you will be okay. And that is a strength that you and I need to confess together with the psalmist. And tell ourselves hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you uh, for this word this morning. And God, for those of us who, are, who struggle to look inside the state of our hearts and make any sense out of it, we pray that you will utilize this wonderful book, the book of Psalms, to do that for us, to act as a guide in our journey. 
And God, God, as we uh, are guided through the state of our hearts, we know that we're going to find things that are not pleasant. We're going to find that there are difficulties that are thrown at us that we have uh, failed to process and acknowledge. And in that time, we pray that you would give us uh, the courage to be able to be honest about the things that we are going through. Help us to pour out our heart. And at the same time, we ask that you would help us to speak into our hearts the wonderful truth of the gospel that tells us that we can have certainty in the hope that is found in your son, Jesus. And so God, by your love and because of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, may this be true in our hearts. We thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.